0: We are going to read together from Psalm 116. We're actually going to read it twice today. Um, We've uh, set it apart for the reading for this afternoon as well. This morning, we want to pay attention to a um, couple of verses at the end, verses 12 through 14 near the end, but we'll read the whole psalm together to give it context. Psalm 116, I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. Because he inclined his ear to me, therefore I will call on him as long as I live. The snares of death encompassed me. The pangs of Sheol laid hold on me. I suffered distress and anguish. Then I called on the name of the Lord. O Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. When I was brought low, He saved me. Return, O my soul, to your rest, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believed even when I spoke, I am greatly afflicted. I said in my alarm, all mankind are liars. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. O Lord, I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. You have loosed my bonds. I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people, in the courts of the house of the Lord, in your midst, O Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. And our text is verses 12 through 14. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, what do you think should come first, celebration or obligations? Most of us were probably taught when we were small that work should come before play, right? First you carry out your obligations, then you get to celebrate. So obligation comes before celebration. In fact, in our mind, these are two separate categories altogether. We tend to think of them as, as opposed to each other. And if we're honest, we would probably most of the time prefer celebration to fulfilling our obligations. But our psalm this morning doesn't do that. It does not oppose these two to each other. does not put them into separate categories. We, we were reading from Psalm 116. And it doesn't say who the psalmist is in in the superscription the way it often does, so we don't know. But this uh, psalmist was saved from a very difficult situation. He wants to celebrate that with God's people. So he says, what shall I render to the Lord for all His benefits to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call On the name of the Lord. But then he goes on to say, I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. In other words, for him, the celebration comes first and obligation flows out of the celebration. You see, a proper view of life, a proper understanding of the life of faith sees these two things as complementary. Not opposed. And as we prepare ourselves this morning for the celebration of the Lord's Supper, let's let's consider these things together. We'll consider this question that the same the same question that the psalmist considered. How shall we thank the Lord for his benefits? And we'll see, we'll pay attention to that in two points by thanking him in celebration and by fulfilling our obligation. Now, the psalm we read this morning is a psalm of thanksgiving, which has um, often been associated with the celebration of the Lord's Supper. Uh, Interestingly, apparently in the 17th century Book of Common Prayer, it was also read after childbirth, particular verses, but often have been associated with the celebration of the Lord's Supper. And what then is the psalm about? If if we look at it together, uh, clearly the psalmist is celebrating his deliverance from some kind of life-threatening affliction. And it was really bad for him. Look at verse 3. The snares of death encompassed me. The pangs of Sheol, the grave, laid hold of me. I suffered distress and anguish. Verse 8 says that he was near death. His eyes were full of tears. His feet were stumbling. In verse 10 he says he's greatly afflicted. And that word translated as afflicted means to be crouched, hunched up, wretched, suffering. You can imagine him curled up in a ball somewhere in a corner in the fetal position, rocking back and forth and having no idea where to go or what to do. And we don't really know why he felt this way. There's no indication as to what causes the circumstances? In some of the Psalms, the connections are quite clear, like Psalm 51, for example. It even says in the superscription that, that David wrote this Psalm after, after he sinned against the Lord with Bathsheba. So, so there's a, a sense of penitence and guilt there connected to a very specific situation. But here we don't really know what that is. The only clue is in verse 6. It says, The Lord preserves the simple. Now, um, to be simple in Scripture is not a compliment. Uh, the simple are the spiritually naive. Um, as one commentator put it, these are the people that you keep on finding back in, in the book of Proverbs that stumble from one situation to another. And the psalmist says he's one of them. And in a way, all of us are by nature. Maybe, maybe you can think back in your own life to a situation That you encountered a situation that that you were in that was preventable, but it still ended up happening because you didn't think through the implications of what you were doing from a spiritual perspective. So, all of us, in a sense, share in this spiritual naivete. We are born into it, so to speak. And the psalmist encountered that in a particular way, and it's clear that that he, he was facing imminent death. This was really serious. And he was not powerful enough to overcome that, as all people realize once they face their own death and mortality. And the real issue is not not death as such, but what it means. Because apart from God's grace, death is the final and ultimate separation of God from God and His blessings. It means to encounter God as your judge. That is far more terrifying than anything that's even described in this psalm. In Scripture, God's judgment is often represented in the imagery of a cup, a cup of wrath. Psalm 75 verse 8, we sang from Psalm 75 last week, didn't we? And um, there's a line in there about that cup. Psalm 75 verse 8 says that in the hand of the Lord there is a cup with foaming wine, well mixed. And He pours out from it, and all the wicked of the earth shall drain it down to the dregs. That is a cup of God's wrath of His anger. But if you belong to Christ, you do not need to drink that cup. You do not need to fear that judgment because Christ drank it for you. Jesus Christ drank the cup of God's wrath. Before his crucifixion, he was in the Garden of Gethsemane with his disciples, and he prayed, and he said, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. He knew. He knew what was in that cup. He pleaded with God to be delivered. He pleaded with the Father to be delivered, but God didn't deliver him. He went through with it for us. He drank that cup down to its dregs. He experienced the full measure of God's wrath. In verse 15, it says, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Uh, Precious here could be translated as costly. It is costly to the Lord, the death of the saints, the suffering that they undergo. How costly? Costly enough that the Lord Jesus died instead of them. But God is righteous, remember? To be be righteous means that you live up to all of the covenant obligations, including the law. That's what righteousness is. And in verse 5, the psalmist reminds us of that. He says, gracious is the Lord and righteous. And it's that same paradox that that we've found back at other times. How can God be righteous and gracious at the same time? Both of those things are true. He is gracious, Scripture says that, but He's also righteous. That means He must fully punish all sin. And that sin was punished in Jesus Christ. All of our sins were punished in Him. But, if you think about it, God shows His righteousness in punishing all of our sins in Christ, but Christ Himself was innocent. He did not deserve to die, and therefore it was also God's righteousness to raise Him from the dead. When the full penalty was served, physical and eternal death, He rose again from the dead because He was the only person who was ever lived who did not deserve to die. And that's what we remember in the Lord's Supper as well, that we are united to Him in His death. That is true, but that He also was raised from the dead and that we share in that life. And He nourishes us with that life today. That's represented in the bread and the cup. And then when you see that cup being lifted, then it is not the cup of wrath anymore, then it is the cup of salvation. Because of Christ, the cup that you receive with your hand, that you drink, is not The cup of God's wrath. It is not the cup of God's anger over your sins. It is the cup of salvation that He gives to you in Jesus Christ. Apart from God's grace, we are under His condemnation, but in Christ we can experience His grace. And then, if you, from the perspective of the Lord's Supper, go back to verse 5 and look at that again, then it takes on a whole new meaning. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Righteous and completely punishing sin, they are gone. They will never be held against us again, but gracious to those who do not deserve it. The Belgian Confession, Article 20, still puts it best. It says, God therefore manifested His justice against His Son when He laid our iniquity on Him and poured out His goodness and mercy on us who were guilty and worthy of damnation. Out of a most perfect love, He gave His Son to die for us, and He raised Him for our justification that through Him we might obtain immortality and life eternal. So how do you respond to that sort of grace? That's the big question that the psalmist asked as well, and it's an even bigger question for us. How? How? How can we respond? What shall we render to Him now? What shall we render to our Savior now? What shall we render to the Lord for all of His benefits to me? And the answer is, you raise the cup of salvation. You call on the name of the Lord. You come up and you celebrate the Lord's Supper. That's what you do. That's how you show your thankfulness. That's what we're doing today. When we drink from that cup, we're not drinking from the cup of God's wrath. We're lifting up the cup of salvation. And we reflect, and we think how gracious He is. What could we ever do? Well, we can celebrate together with joy. And then as we are strengthened and nourished by Christ, we also go forth and fulfill our obligations, and we'll look at that next. That's in verse 18. He says, I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all His people. And that's actually the second time. He says it obviously in verse 14 as well in our text. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all His people. And then emphasized again in verse 18, I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all of His people. What is a vow? A vow is a binding promise made to God. Not the same thing as a bargain. Sometimes they look like they're the same, but that's because we misunderstand it. Because nobody bargains with the Lord ever. But in the past, people did make vows sometimes. It was an expression of worship. The idea was that you would call out to God and you would commit yourself to thanking Him properly for His salvation afterward. And, and that, that then is what it means to glorify God. It means to, to highlight His saving work, to draw attention to it. And those two parts, calling on God and glorifying Him afterward... We find those back in Psalm 50, verse 15 as well. There it says, call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you, that's salvation, and you shall glorify me. That's the obligation. So there's a commitment to a long-term expression of gratitude. That's what the vow was. He's not just going to say a quick thank you and then get on with his life. No, he says, I'm serious about this. I want to thank you properly when you deliver me. And and for us, we think then, with that question in the back of our mind, what shall we render to the Lord now for his salvation? What can you give him that would be, in a sense, a, a proper form of thanksgiving? What's the biggest thing that you can give to him? And it would be yourself, your whole life. You can never give enough recognition. You can never give enough praise. So the vow is an expression of commitment of your whole life. Our obligation is much more than just offering an animal and then going back home again. In Romans 12, verse 1 and 2, Paul writes, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Our lives offered to the Lord in complete separation from all sin. Ultimately, Christ offering His people back to the Father. That's, that is what is the only proper thanksgiving that we can give. All other vows in the Bible point to that one ultimate obligation of a whole life of service, because we owe Him everything. And um, that idea of your life as a, as an as a offering to God already comes back, even in the Old Testament. You know, the whole Bible is building up to this. Psalm 51 verse 17, for instance, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart of God you will not despise. There was another man who who came to the end of himself and realized, I... The only thing I can really give is all of me, and even that is not enough. We really need all of eternity to give thanks to the Lord. In the New Testament, Peter wrote about that in his first letter. He said, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So today we celebrate the Lord's Supper together. And we realize that our celebration and our obligation both extend past this moment that we are going to spend together around the table here this morning. And the psalm, in a sense, already embodies that, that awareness. In the opening verse, it says, I love the Lord. Present tense, I love the Lord. That really encompasses all aspects of our response to salvation. The past when Christ gave Himself for us and the the future of service which belongs to Him, and all of that tied together in one great present moment that stretches into eternity. I love the Lord. May that love be ours as we go up to the table today, and may we so thank the Lord for all of His benefits. Amen.